RTHK News. It's one o'clock on Benche, the headlines. Activists marched to mark the one-month anniversary of the massive clashes outside the Legislative Council. The Hong Kong University Students' Union is to hold a rally on campus tonight to express its discontent with the university's vice-chancellor. And a former civil service secretary says the government should consider reforming the Legislative Council. Activists from the League of Social Democrats have marched to the chief executive's office to mark the one-month anniversary of the massive clashes outside the Legislative Council on June 12th. Chanting slogans, the protesters said the clashes and the anti-extradition protests that followed wouldn't have happened if Chief Executive Carrie Lam had withdrawn the bill and resigned there and then. The group pushed along a coffin with the CE's face on it. They said the extradition bill is not dead, but this should be the end of Mrs. Lam and her minister's political careers. Here is former lawmaker Lan Kwok Hong. I think it's the only way to make Hong Kong people think that there will be a new era of the Hong Kong politics. Of course, if, if we will restart the political reform, it's better. So, but Carrie Lam need to go. The Hong Kong University Students' Union will hold a rally on campus tonight to express its discontent with the university's vice-chancellor, Zhang Xiang, for condemning anti-extradition law protesters who stormed the Legislative Council building on July 1st. In a statement, the union described Professor Zhang as cold-blooded and unsympathetic for failing to protect and defend students. As the head of the institution, it said Professor Zhang should instead have condemned the government, as it was the authorities' disregard for the voices of the protesters which forced some of them to take over the Legislative Council. A former Civil Service Secretary Joseph Wong says the government should consider reforming the Legislative Council amid the ongoing anti-extradition crisis. He says the number of directly elected seats could be increased by 5 to 40. Mr. Wong didn't say if he believes the move will help calm society down, but he believes it would help give people more, give people hope that their aspiration for more say in the government will be heard. His proposal comes as some recent anti-extradition protests have also called for political reform. We should at least look at whether we can move the democratic process in the Legislative Council by one more step. For example, by reducing the functional constituency number of seats from 35 to 30 and increase the geographical constituency seats from 35 to 40. That at least will be a step forward. That at least will give the people of Hong Kong, particularly our young generation, some hope that their voices will be better heard and better represented. Mr. Wong also says he doesn't believe resignations from Executive Council members would help resolve the crisis because he said EXCO doesn't have much credibility. On possible dialogue between the chief executive and student protesters, this is what Mr. Wong had to say. I don't think the government should waste any, any time to sort of uh, engage in a dialogue. I mean, what will Carrie Lam uh, say when she's asked a question, will you withdraw the bill? Why didn't you withdraw the bill? Why didn't you set up the, the, the committee of inquiry? What could you say uh, which would be helpful in the dialogue? It's no point. And in fact, how can she conduct dialogue with uh, two million plus people in Hong Kong? So rather than to, to have this sort of gimmick, I think the government should do something concrete. 
By concrete, Mr Wong says the government should announce that it will notify the Legislative Council to formally withdraw the extradition bill in accordance with existing procedures and that it will set up an independent inquiry to look into the all aspects related to the contentious bill. A man has been arrested for allegedly trying to set fire to a so-called Lennon Wall in Aberdeen. Police said the man lit a note in front of the Lennon Wall near a bus stop at around 11 last night. Meanwhile, another minor scuffle broke out near the Lennon Wall in Taipo yesterday evening. Two men were seen tearing memos from the wall, and they later began arguing and fighting with other people. One man was sent to hospital after sustaining an injury to his arm. President Trump has abandoned his attempt to add a controversial question about citizenship to the 2020 U.S. Census, ending a long legal battle. Instead, he said he was directing government departments to compile the information from existing data. Mr. Trump said he was determined to establish how many citizens, non-citizens and illegal immigrants there were in the United States. The president of the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, Kristen Clark, told the BBC she had concerns about President Trump's plans. This is essentially an attempt to compile data on a mass scale in a way that is unprecedented. We don't know how long it will take for them to pull this data together. We don't know what they will do with that data, but that is a separate fight for another day, and we will be policing the Trump administration um, with careful vigilance to see how that effort unplays in the months ahead. Lawyers representing the families of people who died in the Boeing 737 MAX crash in Indonesia say that many have been cheated out of compensation. Some relatives allege that they were pressured to sign agreements that prevented them from taking legal action against either Boeing or the airline Lion Air over the disaster last October. The BBC has discovered that relatives signed similar agreements following two previous crashes, which prevented them from suing Boeing in the U.S. courts. The BBC has uncovered evidence that the attack on protesters in Sudan last month was ordered from the top and planned in advance. Dozens of people were killed when the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces broke up a pro-democracy sit-in in Khartoum. The BBC's Tommy Olapido reports. Analysis and verification of over 300 videos shot by protesters reveal the extent of the violence. The Rapid Support Forces stormed the sit-in, attacked protesters with live ammunition and killed civilians. The BBC has spoken with two men who say they are serving RSF officers and admit to having participated in the raid. Both men say the attack was ordered by the leadership of the RSF and that instructions were given almost two weeks earlier. Sudan's military leaders have denied responsibility for the atrocities, blaming rogue elements. The German government has for the first time been ordered to bring family members of a suspected Islamic State fighter back to Germany. The case concerns three children and their mother living in a refugee camp in a Kurdish-controlled area of northern Syria. This report from the BBC's Damien McGuinness. There are thought to be dozens of German wives of suspected IS fighters in Syrian refugee camps and with them at least a hundred children living in terrible conditions. Until now, Berlin has been reluctant to let them return back to Germany. The government was prepared to allow some of the children back, but not their mothers, fearing that the women may be radicalised and could pose a danger to German society. 
Syrian state television reports that a car bomb detonated near a church in the northeastern city of Kamashli and it has injured up to 11 people. The Britain-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said at least three of the injured were in a critical condition. The Islamic State group said it carried out the attack. The United Nations Refugee Agency and the International Organization for Migration have called on the European Union to restore naval patrols in the Mediterranean to rescue migrants. In a hard-hitting joint statement, they've also said that support for the Libyan Coast Guard should be made conditional on any rescued migrants they return to Libya not being detained. The UNHCR spokesperson for Africa and Libya is Charlie Yaxley. This call for European state vessels to return to the Mediterranean this could take a number of forms. It could be individual states, it could be a collective of willing states, it could be under the auspices of the European Union. But in general, you know, we need a significant increase in search and rescue capacity. And that should now come in part from state vessels. The agency has repeated a call for the release of 5,600 migrants they say are being held in detention centres in Libya. The Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has asked his son Eduardo to become ambassador in Washington. The post has been vacant since April. More from the BBC's Candice Piet. In Brazil's foreign ministry, 35-year-old congressman Eduardo Bolsonaro is described ruefully as the shadow foreign minister because of the strong influence he has on his father's foreign policy ideas. He supports his father's pro-American stance, breaking with Brazil's traditionally more cautious position on the U.S., He's also openly pro-Israeli, where in the past Brazil had been careful not to offend Arab nations. Eduardo is also an enthusiastic advocate of a controversial Brazilian right-wing self-taught philosopher, Olavo de Carvalho, whose ideas have become influential in the Bolsonaro family. Scientists in the United States and Bangladesh have developed a new approach to helping malnourished children, using food that boosts the good bacteria in their guts. The World Health Organization estimates that worldwide 150 million children under the age of five are malnourished. The BBC's Philippa Roxby has more details. The researchers pinpointed foods which boosted communities of good bacteria using experiments on mice and pigs. When they tried out these foods on 68 malnourished Bangladeshi children aged 12 to 18 months for one month, a diet containing bananas, soy, peanut flour and chickpeas was found to be best. It boosted important gut bacteria, which is linked to the growth of children's bones and brains. The scientists said the microbes in the gut were intimately linked to overall health. A study has found that back-to-back -back heat waves in the central Indian Ocean killed more than two-thirds of corals in the Chagos Islands over two years. The BBC's Roger Harbin explains. The Chagos reefs are a useful research site because they've had little disturbance from humans. The study showed that high sea temperatures in 2015 and 2017 led to the death of 70% of hard corals. But intriguingly, while the second heat wave lasted longer, fewer corals were killed. So the surviving corals proved more tolerant of high temperatures, and that would be good news in a warming world. But scientists warn it doesn't mean that corals will be able to keep on adapting to higher temperatures. The sea will continue to warm and CO2 emissions absorbed into the ocean are making seawater more acidic and that's harmful to corals too. 
To finance now, in a short time ago, the Hang Seng Index stood at 28,574. That's 142 points up on the previous close. And in currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 108.38 yen. The euro is standing at one U.S. dollar and 12 cents, and the pound is worth nine Hong Kong dollars and 80 cents. And for a wrap-up of today's sports, here's Atom Jiang. We start with the Cricket World Cup, where the hosts England are through to the final after an emphatic eight-wicket victory over Australia at Edgbaston. Set 224 to win, England reached their target with more than 17 overs to spare. Here's captain Owen Morgan. Sounds pretty good, to be honest. If you'd offered me that the day after we got knocked out of the 2015 World Cup, I wouldn't have believed you.、Um, I think. It sums up how far we've come in the last four years. Everybody in the change room, the squad, the backroom staff, all the coaches should take a huge amount of credit for that and the opportunity that presents itself on Sunday. England will face New Zealand in Sunday's final at Lords. New Zealand made it to the final in 2015, where they lost to Australia. As for England, this is their first final since 1992. Our cricket commentator Sanir Chowdhury says England are favourites to get their name on the trophy for the first time. The big news is that cricket will have a new World Cup winner. New Zealand and England will both have a chance to join an elite list that includes Australia, who have won it five times, India and West Indies twice apiece, and Pakistan and Sri Lanka once、uh, in the World Cup cricket. And to answer your question, there isn't too much doubt that England will start heavy favourites to win this one. They had faced a minor blip during the middle phase of the competition, but the way they have come back, they beat India, they beat New Zealand in the league stage, and that should put them firmly in the driver's seat. That New Zealand win, in fact, in the league stage should give them a lot of confidence because it was a 119-run drubbing of the Kiwis just over a week ago, and that means that England, for me, will be will be the, the ultimate favourite in this one. Tennis now tonight. It's the highly anticipated Wimbledon semi-final between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. It's their first meeting at the All England Club in 11 years. Federer says Nadal is a different player from the one he faced on grass in 2008. We haven't played in, a, in each other a long, long time on this surface. He's serving way different. Remember back in the day how he used to serve, and now how bigger, much bigger he's serving, and how much faster he finishes points.、Um, impressive to see. How healthy he stayed, because a lot of them were saying like, "Oh, it's the end." And by 2008, similar to me in 09, and we're still here. So it's nice to to play each other again. The other semi-final is between defending champion and world number one Novak Djokovic and Spain's Roberto Bautista Agut. We finish with the NBA, where the Oklahoma City Thunder have traded eight-time All-Star Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets, where he'll join up with former teammate James Harden. In exchange, Oklahoma City received Chris Paul, two first-round picks, and the right to swap first-rounders in 2021 and 2025. The move comes after Paul George left the Thunder last week in an unexpected trade that saw him end up with the Los Angeles Clippers. And that's your look at sports. Adam Jung reporting, and that's the news from RTHK.